Well, good morning, City Church. My name is Chris Taylor. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. Uh, I want to thank you this morning for inviting me into your living room or onto your walk or however you're consuming this uh, this morning. Um, So I just want to thank you. Um, I also want to uh, just go ahead and jump straight in. Uh, Turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 6. That's where we're going to be spending most of our time is between chapter 6 and 9 today. Uh, And as you're turning there, um, I just got something to kind of get off my chest, and that is is that I feel like we are receiving a ton of messages uh, today. Tons of messages. Uh, I am specifically eight years sober on the social medias, uh, the uh, Twitters, the Facebooks, all of it. I'm off of it. Uh, I don't feel like I have the mental wherewithal to uh, have that many voices kind of coming in. But uh, whether you're on social media or not, you're receiving a lot of messages today. I'm getting messages from uh, email lists that I had no idea that I was on. I'm sure that you uh, are too. And it's just hard to get away from all of these messages. Uh, Not that you would necessarily even want to, but like they're ever present. Uh, My wife went on a run the other morning and uh, got filled in on all of the uh, businesses in our local area and which ones were supporting what and who was saying uh, what things. And and what I've noticed is is that uh, all of these messages are pretty good. Uh, in uh, their own way, they're uh, dealing in uh, good messages, but, but a lot of them are also dealing just in partial truths that uh, aren't fully orbed, that don't have the gospel connected to them. And, and so for me personally, the quantity and inevitability has led me to a place where I can get kind of stressed out with the number of messages that are trying to uh, come into me and my family and my community. Uh, and, and honestly, at, at times it can feel a little bit like mind pollution. I don't know if you're uh, like me in that way. But I was so encouraged to sit down with the story of Noah, which is what we're encountering this morning, and hear a uh, not a partial truth good message but a truly true message from God. And, and, and I was surprised, uh, God surprised me this week uh, with his loving grace, uh, just with how uh, timely the message was for my heart. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, pull out some excerpts rather than uh, read uh, three and a half chapters. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, I'm going to pull out a few verses, and that's where we're going to start this morning. Chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and the animals and the creeping things and the birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which the breath of life under heaven Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you and your son, your wife and your son's wives with you, and of every living thing of all flesh. Verse 22, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. This is the word of the Lord. 
What I think that we discover in this truly true message from God this morning is simple. It is that in the floodwaters of God's judgment, Jesus alone is our ark of salvation. In the floodwaters of God's judgment, Jesus alone is our ark of salvation. But in order to kind of understand and get at that, we have to kind of understand two things. First, we have to understand uh, something of the floodwaters of God's judgment. And second, we have to understand the ark of salvation as Jesus. Those are the two things that we've got to get this morning. So when we start off, we want to understand something of the floodwaters of God's judgment. And what we discover are that the floodwaters of God's judgment are severe, they are just, and they are unexpected. The, the floodwaters of God's judgment are severe. And, and if you're like me, you're kind of uncomfortable with the flood story. If we're asked by non-believers, hey, do you believe in this uh, flood story where Noah gets on a boat and all, everything's destroyed? Do you believe that? And, and at times I can be a little embarrassed maybe that I believe that. I don't know if you feel that same way. But one of the things that makes me most uncomfortable is that it seems like it could be an overreaction from God. It seems like this is very severe. Uh, Chapter 6 verses 7 and 8 says that uh, God regretted making man, that it grieved him in his heart, and that he was sorry that he ever made them. So I will blot them out, he says. He'll make it as if uh, they never existed. There will be no trace. Everything will be colored in around them no sign of them. Verse 13 says, I've determined to make an end to all flesh. So it's not just uh, man, it's also the animals. He's making an end to all flesh. So he floods the whole world above the tops of the highest mountains. He floods the entire world. And we're told four times the waters prevailed. What happened when the waters prevailed? Chapter 7, verse 21 through 22 says, All flesh, everything died. He left nothing living, and it just seems that he repeats over and over again the severity of his judgment. Verse 23 of chapter 7 says, He blotted out every living thing, man and animals. Only Noah was left. And if that kind of severity doesn't get your attention, I don't know, honestly, what will. Uh, Because this morning, I've got a confession for you as I was reading through this. I was reminded just how safe the God that I believe in is. I've rounded off some corners. I've taped some things up. I've wrapped him in bubble tape. I, I, I just... I've made my God and my mind too safe, and I read this passage, and I reveal, uh, uh, and I'm reminded that His judgment is severe. And, and, and here's where maybe the embarrassment comes in: is that the severity of His judgment could actually be an overreaction if it is not justified. So, so what is it? What is it that is warranting this frightful judgment from the hand of God? What filled God with regret and grief and sorrow? Verse 1 tells us. Verse 1 tells us first that the uh, man on the earth was multiplying. But, but he says in verse 5 that something else is multiplying as well. It says the wickedness of man was great. So man and sin were both increasing. They were increasing. 
God says this of the hearts of men. It says that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. Only evil. And it was continual. The evil was perpetual and it was compounding itself. Man was growing more in number and he was growing at the same time in evil and wickedness. And how was this expressing itself? It says that the earth was corrupt, that all flesh was corrupt. They were filled with violence. Violence. A little bit of context here. The last two weeks we have heard about how God created all things, including man in his own image. He created every living thing. And that in Genesis 3, that all of that was ruined by the entrance of sin into our world. And it takes one generation, one generation for Cain to kill his brother Abel, for there to be the first uh, homicide, the first murder. That's the kind of violence, and, and when uh, God approaches Cain about this, Cain is, uh, uh, is, is cast out, and he's filled with fear, and it even says that he's filled with fear because he's worried that people will find him and kill him. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 24, Lamech, one of these other descendants, boasts that his vengeance is even greater than Cain's. He says, if, if Cain's vengeance is seven, mine is seventy-sevenfold. What I think we get out of that is that there was this honor culture that had started getting created amongst the clans of the earth. There were these family rivalries, all of these clans that were out there killing one another, committing homicide, murdering one another. Chapter 9 verses 2 and 5 make me even think that maybe the animals were getting in on the action as well, that it wasn't just man that was killing one another, that also the animals were killing human beings too, and it grieved God to his heart. He was sorry that he ever made them. Why? Because humans had been created, he says, in the image and glory of God. What is it to be created in this uh, image? We, we're actually reflectors of who God is, bearers of his likeness. Uh, but I wonder if you've ever considered that you are a glory bearer, that your fellow man is glory bearing. Day in and day out, we display the glory of God. We were created for intimate relationship with God we were created to love one another, and we were created to carefully exercise dominion over creation. And between Genesis 3 and Genesis 6, there was this spiral of chaotic ruin that sin had brought out in the hearts of man. There was murderous violence towards their brother, and instead of exercising loving dominion over creation, there was domination. So we see what's getting after the heart of God. The floodwaters of God's judgment are not only severe, they are just. But thirdly, they, they are unexpected. And, and they're unexpected, at least in two senses that I can think of. Uh, they're un, unexpected in terms of quantity, and they're unexpected in terms of time. Let, let me explain. I want to ask you a question. Are you angry this morning? about the murder of George Floyd? Are, are you angry 
at violence and brutality. I wonder this morning if you are angry about the 85 people who were shot in Chicago last weekend, resulting in 24 murders of image bearers. I wonder if you're angry at the hundreds of protesters and police who have been hurt with violence, who've been hospitalized with injury, who have been entombed by death. And that's just in this country. I wonder if you're angry at the 2,585 Mexicans who were murdered in just the month of March. Just to satisfy the uh, drug cravings of a world, there are people that are being murdered by cartels. I wonder if you are angry at the 1.5 million Uyghur Muslims and Christians also who are literally living today in concentration camps. I wonder if you're angry. Me too. I want to say it is good that we are angry at unrighteousness. But, but I do think that there are a few pieces of Christian wisdom here that, that we need to cling on to because all of the messages that I'm seeing out there are really partial, non-gospel-oriented messages. The first piece of wisdom that I think that I would pass on is that uh, we can't know every injustice. You can try. You can spend all of your time on social media. You can get on uh, uh, the news uh, websites and blogs. You can talk with uh, all of your friends, but there is no possible way for you to uh, know about every injustice. The second is, is that um, if we're being honest, there are some injustices, like maybe even in that list that I just gave you, that are more affecting to you, that God has drawn your heart uh, towards uh, being compassionate about, maybe even being angry about. That There are some things that just rise to your heart's uh, concern more than other things, and I think that that may even be okay. Third is, is that we are limited in some way with our anger, that human beings seem incapable of holding on to any amount of righteous anger without it expressing itself in sin. So there's a whole bunch of Christian wisdom that we need to take in, I think, this morning. But here's what I want for us to really get, is not to focus on ourselves. I think that plenty of us are making that uh, wrong choice in this moment. It's what can we learn about God from the floodwaters of his judgment? What is it that is, unexpe- that is unexpected to us? Whereas uh, we can't know every injustice, God knows every injustice, every single one. Whereas we may show some sort of uh, partiality in the things that affect our, uh, our hearts, He shows no partiality. He is angry about every injustice, all violence, every murder. And whereas we are limited in our anger because it it just normally metastasizes into something unrighteous and sin, maybe even vengeance, he has unlimited anger towards sin and yet remains sinless. 
God is a lot better at this anger thing than we could ever be. He's angrier than you are. He has a higher standard than you do. He shows no partiality. His vengeance covers a whole world of sin, just like the waters of the flood. And and it's not something that a lot of times that uh, uh, we really think about as being good news in the gospel, but there is good news that God will judge the living and the dead. He will end and punish all injustice for all time. Maybe that's a perspective that you need this morning, to feel relieved of some of your anger and vengeance, to know that God is the one who does it. He does it perfectly, and he does it better than you ever could. His severe and just judgment is unexpected to us. But but it is literally, I think, unexpected in terms of the timing of it. It it catches the whole world off guard. That's one of the messages that we see in the flood. Jesus is the one that points this out himself. He says, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. The floodwaters of God's judgment are severe, they are just, and they are unexpected. They will catch us off guard. But we can't just uh, point to one thing, the floodwaters of God's judgment. We've got to also understand the ark. We've got to understand the ark. We've got to understand the ark as uh, God's graciously promised, painstakingly planned, provided hope of salvation. I'm going to say that again. Uh, We must understand that the ark is graciously promised, painstakingly planned, and provides our only hope of salvation. Let me explain what I mean. We've got to see that God's promised salvation is actually in the ark. If you read through this passage of Scripture on your own, I want you to pay attention to the word but all the way through here. Chapter 6, verse 8 says this, and it's a glorious word, but Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So he was angry, he was sorry that he had made uh, man, but Noah found favor. What is favor? In in a uh, time in history where we're talking a lot about uh, favoritism and privilege, here we see God having favor on a man, and what is it? It's grace. Noah finds favor in his eyes. May we all be favored like this. May we all have this privilege of the king of this universe. And and he he goes beyond just having favor. It says in verse 9 that God walked with him. Who of us would like to have God walk with us? And God uh, actually tells Noah his plan. In verse 13, it says, I have determined to make an end to all flesh. He shares his uh, plan to make an end with the waters of judgment. Then he goes on to say this in verse 18, but I will establish my covenant with you and you shall come in the ark. God tells Noah about the coming judgment and then promises him salvation from it. 
God's judgment may be severe, but he is good to tell us about salvation. Second, he he says that we've got to see that God's uh, plan for salvation is painstakingly planned. Verse 19 through verse 21 in chapter 6, God prescribes and describes exactly how to build the ark. He says, build it this big and this wide and this tall with this many floors. You're going to want to find some food and put that on there. You're going to want to make sure that all of the animals have plenty of space. You're going to uh, you know, use this kind of pitch to seal everything in, use this kind of wood. He's painstakingly planning the salvation. He's helping him design. He's telling him what goes into it. And notice this. It would have taken years and years for Noah to build, and yet God comes many years ahead of time, tells him his plan, and tells him exactly what salvation looks like. And verse 22 says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Verse 16 then says that uh, when the day comes, the Lord shuts them in. He himself is the one who does it. So we need to notice that uh, God is the one who's in control of all of this. He's the one that takes the first and the last action for salvation. He promises salvation. He painstakingly plans salvation. And lastly, we've got to see that the ark was the only salvation from the floodwaters of God's judgment. Chapter 7, verse 7 says, Noah and his family went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. They had to go into the ark. They had to have faith in God's promised, uh, planned provision for their salvation. So they, they, they go into the ark. And then it says something curious. It says, after seven days, what do you think that Noah was thinking on the fifth and sixth day of all of that. He just spent years planning and building this gigantic ark and bringing all of these animals into it, and then he waits for seven days. And you've got to imagine that the people that were paying attention to this uh, probably gathered outside that first day when Noah went in. We, we don't know that, but just... Uh, and, and I imagine that there was a lot of nervous laughter. A lot of laughter because they thought that what he was doing was silly. He's in the middle of the desert. There was uh, no rain uh, to speak of, certainly no floods for a gigantic boat like this. Uh, But there must have been some question in their mind why he would have done all of it, maybe nervous laughter. By day three, they've got to be just in hysterics that this man has spent uh, his time and his family and his wealth in this way to build this gigantic boat. Well, my guess is, is that by day seven, by day seven, nobody's standing outside of the ark but Noah and his family are in the ark. And for those of us who uh, maybe see this as more of a story, an allegory, God gets pretty specific with this. Jesus talks about it as if he believes in it, but then God says this, on the second month, on the 17th day, the fountains of the deep burst, the windows of the heavens open, The waters prevailed, the waters prevailed, the waters prevailed, the waters prevailed over all things. Everything died, only Noah was left. The ark was the only hope 
It was the only hope for Noah. God's grace in providing this ark was his only hope. Uh, It says that the uh, flood lasted on the surface of the earth for 150 days. That's five months they uh, are in this ark. What if on day 127 uh, the boat begins to sink? What if they begin running out of food? What if God forgets them? Chapter 8, verse 1 says, But God remembered Noah. He caused the waters to recede, and then he commands them, go out from the ark. The message of this story is that God provides complete salvation to Noah and to his family and to all creatures. He's actually restoring and reconciling man to himself, man to one another, and all creatures. This is just a glimpse of what is held in the gospel. How gracious of God to promise and painstakingly plan and provide our only hope for salvation. Remember when I said that um, God told Noah that he will make his covenant with him? He didn't do it on that day, but it's this day that he comes out of the ark, that Noah, coming out of the ark, he decides to build an altar to the Lord and make sacrifices on it. This is the first recorded altar, by the way, in the Bible. It's not the first sacrifice, though. After Adam and Eve had, um, had disobeyed God, they realized that they were naked, and God himself actually uh, sacrifices animals, makes skin clothing to cover over their nakedness. And, and here we see that Noah got the point. He saw that it takes life for life to cover over sin. The message is clear to Noah. He makes an altar. He gives a sacrifice. And God makes his covenant with Noah. And he says this, Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Then he sets his rainbow in the clouds and he says that I will see this and I will remember the covenant that I've made with you. So rainbows are for us. We look at them, and we see them, and we are reminded that God made this glorious promise to never again cut off all flesh by uh, floodwaters and destroy the entire world. We actually get some level of hope from that, but what's maybe even more amazing is, is that God is the one who promises that when he sees the rainbow, he will remember that he's not going to cut off all flesh by floodwaters again or destroy the whole earth by water. Does all of this sound hopeful? Does all of this sound very comforting? Do seeing rainbows, does it uh, create uh, some sense of remembrance and comfort in you? If, if that's the case, man, good, good. God keeps his promises. However, there's a sense in which um, his covenant with his people is ominous sounding too. Because he doesn't promise that he's not going to send his judgment again. He says that he's not going to cut off all flesh by way of flood. That's not how he's going to do it again. He also says that he's not ever going to destroy the earth again. 
He's going to send somebody to make a new heaven and new earth, but he's not going to destroy the old earth the way that he did with these flood waters. Sandwiched between the two statements of his covenant is a whisper of the heart of the gospel. Look with me in chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. It says this, And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his image. Did you hear the heart of the gospel there? God says, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Why? For God made man in his image. Here's what we all need to hear this morning. God hates murder. He will require a reckoning. This lifeblood that he is going to require is severe, it is just, and it will surprise us. You know, I see a lot of messages out there right now that kind of uh, play the judge, that throw condemnation. I wonder if we're getting kind of bought in on some of that ourselves. Uh, when I hear these things, they, they bring some level of concern to my heart because the message of judgment, the message of condemnation is something that uh, God reserves. Matthew 5, verse 21, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said of those of old. Those of old, by the way, this is the Old Testament commandments, but I think he's also talking about all of this uh, stuff from the days of Noah. He says this, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. We get further clarification in 1 John chapter 3, verse 15, that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. What we see in these verses is not Jesus raising the bar on what constitutes murder. What it is is that he reveals where the bar has always been. He's pointing way back in the Old Testament to the thing that grieved him to his heart, that violence, that murder, that thing for which was sent the floodwaters of God's severe and just judgment. And he's revealing it to us. So I've got a question for you. Has your anger ever ventured into, by Jesus' definition, murderous hate? Have you been very quick to judge and condemn others? I would just want to confess, me too. Me too. I, I don't know how in Jesus' proclamation anyone can stand. Romans chapter 2 says this, For you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on others. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who cast judgment do these same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, cast judgment and yet do the th same things, do you think that you will escape God's judgment? 
Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that it is God's kindness that leads us toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment shall be revealed. Who can stand in the midst of this judgment, the severe floodwaters of God's judgment? God has a message for us today. Through the story of Noah, through the story of the gospel, His judgment is coming. You need an ark. Get on the ark of Christ. Jesus is our ark. He's our one and only hope of salvation. He is the boat that endures all of the waves and crashing fierceness of God's wrath and takes us through the judgment and lands us on dry ground on the other side to be restored in our relationship with God and with one another and even all of creation. He is reconciling all things to himself. The message of Noah is simple. God's judgment is coming. You need an ark. Get on the ark of Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. Let me pray. God and Father, All of us stands condemned. Lord, all of us uh, are standing without Jesus Christ in the ways of uh, your righteous judgment, the floodwaters of your severe judgment, your just judgment, your surprising judgment. Lord, and so we ask you that you would help us cling to Christ that you would allow for us to believe and put our trust in King Jesus as the one true ark of salvation for us. Let us put our faith in him. Father, I ask you in your great mercies, Lord, that you would use, uh, um, Lord, our, uh, um, our present moment to convince people of evil, but not just evil out there, evil in our own hearts, Lord, that we might cry out to you for mercy. Father, we pray for a revival of joyful worship here at City Church, and we ask you that you would be bringing people into your family here. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.